I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning, continuing in the book of Galatians, right? So, as we continue, listen, just a, a little survey of where we've been. Uh, and if you're new to Fort the City Church, or if this is your first time, maybe your last time, maybe first time for a long time, I want you to know right off the bat, we, we preach through books of the Bible. Because we know the Word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces the division of soul and spirit, it... It literally leaves us naked and exposed before the God who has created us, loves us, and, and sent Jesus to die for us. And so we're a people of the word. And so we, we work through books of the Bible. We started, let's say, what was it, five weeks ago? Eli, you're the one who's always keeping us on track in, in Galatians 1, and we went through five verses. But now we're entering into chapter 3. And, and there's a transition, actually, that you'll see in, in Galatians 3. But just to give you about a 30,000-foot flyover of where we've been. We've seen that the gospel is powerful enough to save, right? Period. But it also, it, it is, it's powerful enough to transform us, right? Because God gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires. And, and this gospel actually unites us into one body, and Christ being the head. And, and what we got to see last week is that the heart of the gospel is justification by faith alone. And so Paul... He's been working since chapter 1, verse 11, through all the way through the end of chapter 2 to really show that he has authority that's been given by God and his message is to be believed. And if you don't believe it, to hell with you and your message. And he says that. He says it in chapter 1. And so now what you're going to see is there's a little bit of a transition. So, and, and what we're going to see is that, Man, the gospel is not just the way into the family of God. It is the way by trusting that good news to the day you drop and go to be with God forever. And, and so it's a big deal because many Christians wrongly think that the gospel is the way we get saved, right? We all agree with that. But then we move on to bigger and better things. It's, it's about what we do now. And, and that's not at all the gospel that Paul preaches. So Let's, let's work through this, and, and there's a lot here. So we're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 3. I'm going to read them to you again. Um, we read through the whole chapter on purpose every week because we want you to understand the greater context of what we're actually reading. My hope would be that you'd be a people that throughout the week, you're reading the Bible. That Specifically, you're reading the book of Galatians. It's only six chapters, right? And it's not even a book. It's really a letter. It's a letter written from Paul to the churches in Galatia. But man, if you will take the time to read, pray, meditate, and enjoy the Word of God, when you come in on Sunday morning, you will be much more apt to be ready to receive. And so that's my hope. Um, so first, 1 through 5 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. Imagine that being read. He's reading to the church. Somebody got up and read this letter. And, and up until this point, it's not been really directed to the church in Galatia in a lot of ways, but he, he talked about the Judaizers. He talked about the scandal with you know, Peter and, and how he had to rebuke him. It's been all to, the, the, let's say, the church in Galatia, but his crosshairs, his direction's not been at them, but now it is. And, and here's the, the warm greeting. Ready? Oh, foolish Galatians. Whew. This is a Sunday we wish we would have skipped. Who has bewitched you, he said, right? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? (laughs) I mean, imagine the scene. You just show up. You're going to worship the Lord. Someone says, hey, we got a letter from, from Paul, our beloved apostle. Let's, let's, everybody, let's stand. Let's read. I'm going to read it to you. And it, and it starts off pretty good. We, we read that in the first five verses. But then it got pretty hot and heavy about the fact, hey, there's some false teachers among you. And no doubt they're there, by the way. Oh, you guys, with your bad message, you can go to hell. Oh, and if an angel comes and tells you something else, that, that angel can go to hell. And if I actually would come back and lose my mind somehow and tell you something other than what I've already told you, I can go to hell. Okay, well, this is, this is pretty intense, right? And then he starts to talk about, and if you, if you think it's just my message, I want you to know it's, it's God's message. But now, and they might all be like, ooh, Paul rebuked Peter. Did you hear that, guys? They were over in Antioch, and like, I can't believe that happened. But now it's like, and, and they might be all like, this is juicy. This is good, because people of God are like that, because humans are like that. But then he's, now he says, oh, foolish Galatians. I bet you some people perked up. I think he's talking to us now. And he is. He is. Until now, right? Listen, one, one Bible translator named J.B. Phillips, and just an old Bible translator, listen to how he translates that verse. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. That's a good translation, by the way. Like, imagine someone getting up on a Sunday morning saying, oh, for the city church, you idiots. I mean, I, I, would not, I, I don't think I'd ever say that, but Paul said that. Why? Is he mean? He's not mean. This guy's a loving shepherd. Paul uses the strongest language that, in an attempt to capture their attention, to draw them back to the one true gospel that is the power to save, keep them saved, and get them to the point where they will be with God in glory. And it is the basis for their entire Christian life. The, the fact that they are even considering abandoning the good news of Jesus Christ has Paul wondering, has someone bewitched you? That's strong language. Has someone passed, like, have they put some voodoo curse on you? I, I mean, I can't even understand you right now. I came to you and I brought the good news of Jesus Christ. You were far from God. God came near to you through the preaching of the word, hearing by faith. And I told you that the only thing that's required is trust this message. Trust this God. You knew that. That's how you became born again. But now that you're born again, you think you're going to just go on and start doing things in your own power. You must have lost your mind. That's the heart. That's the heart of what he's saying. And so in hopes of untangling this web of witchcraft, of bewitchery, Paul takes them back to the day they came to faith. He says, let's talk about your experience. And, and, you know, Bible people are like, whoa, don't talk about experience. God talks about experience all the time. But he's going to give you a biblical example, too. But first he goes to your experience. So he takes them back, and, and he, he launches into a series of, of six rhetorical questions. He knows the answer. He's not there. He's writing the letter. He doesn't expect it. Well, yes, I did receive it by the Spirit. No, he's like, you know the answer to this. So he goes on. And, and to jolt their thinking back to the day that they came to faith. That really is what he's doing. And, and honestly, in, in verse 2, you can, you can summarize all his six questions with that one question. And, and it's this. Listen to it again. And think about your own life. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law 
So, so you've done all these things, and now God gave you the gift of his spirit because you were amazing, right? You memorized Bible verses. You went to Awana. I mean, I didn't even know what that was, but some of you might. You, you went to youth group. You never missed Sunday, and God said, you're finally worthy. Here's my, my spirit. Or, or by hearing with faith. The obvious answer, Paul is saying, it was, it was not because you've done some things. It's because Christ did an, a miracle in you and through you. Through what? The preached word, the gospel. You heard the message and you believed the message. God did that. That's why you're his, right? And, and, and so, of course, it's from hearing with faith, right? Hearing what? The gospel, the good news, the proclamation, the declaration of what Christ has done. Christ has died to save sinners and they believed it. And when they believed it, they were his. They didn't do anything. They trusted in all that God had done for them. So he says, that's the obvious answer. So then he says, are you so foolish then? Are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit, are you now, okay, now you're going to perfect yourself in the flesh. In other words, you've trusted in Christ to get you in, but now you're trusting in yourself to keep you in. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that's absolute foolishness and, and, and think about it I mean after beginning our Christian walk our journey by faith most of us at one time or another have fallen into the subtle trap we, I mean we really have of relying on our own efforts to bring about God's pleasure in us to keep him happy with us right to stay in the good grace of God we've done that every one of you have done that if you're in Christ you've done that you know, if it, essentially we say, if, it, if it's meant to be, now it's up to me. Yes, Jesus got me in, but now i got to keep me in, right? Or the, the verse that's found in First and Second Book of Nowhere, right? You familiar with that book? I, I hear it all the time. I see it on Facebook, right? Um, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in there. It's John Wayne theology. Sounds good, right? You almost hear America after that one. But that's not the Bible, it's just not the Bible, and we've, we've flung that jargon around so much that people are like, oh yeah, that's good, man, I'm going to get that on a mug. Of course Jesus saved me, right? But now I must work to get to the end, right? Many people believe this. Many people live like they believe this. Many people say they don't believe this and do believe this, and you can see, by the way, they're constantly trying to earn God's love. And, and they're miserable, and they make everyone around them miserable. And if you're like, I never met anyone like that, you're, I mean, you're probably that person. And, and boy, I got good news for you, right? Because, because Kevin, you've already confessed that that was you in a season and God saved you. All the joy that came from salvation had left in an instant because you were getting rid of all your good music and making sure you were doing a certain thing down there in the great country of Texas. And and, and, and the Bible Belt was applauding when you did it right, booing when you did it wrong. People had checkboards, like there's the checklist, and Kevin's doing it, and he's not. And sadly, he, he just, all the joy of his walk with God left. But God, in his mercy, came back around and said, buddy, you began by faith. You're going to continue by faith. Here's the good news. M many people despise Christianity, some for reasons that or biblical, like they don't like us because we love Jesus and we proclaim good news to them. And, and they actually don't hate us, they hate Jesus. Jesus told us that throughout the word often, 
over and over. But sometimes they despise us for really good reasons because they've met arrogant people who try to do legalistic things and get everyone else to behave and, and, and they walk around with their clipboard and they tell you when you're not doing it just the way they want it done, right? You might have met this person. Many times they're arrogant, they're self-righteous and judgmental and, and they, they claim to be Christians and they avoid sinners like the plague or as if they have like the coronavirus because they think somehow they're going to get infected by their sin. They run from that mentality. They run from those people when they really should be running to them explaining the good news of how sinners can be redeemed. We've met these people. We've been these people. The problem is that they've forgotten the gospel. They've misunderstood. They're still trying hard to get God to love them, not remembering that God in Christ loves them right? And so what, what would that look like? Well, I'm not great at illustrations. So if you like pastors and preachers who give good illustrations, I'm not him, but I think this is going to be okay. If not, sorry, erase it from your mind. But, but many, many people think the Christian life, and this is the only thing I can come up with. It's kind of pathetic. I'm already admitting it right up front. You're like, well, maybe you shouldn't tell it. Maybe you shouldn't tell it, but I think it might be helpful. So imagine a bathtub, but we're all in bathing suits, right? But don't imagine that. And, and the Christian life is you get in the bathtub, and they fill the water up to the rim, right? And there's a red line that goes around the bathtub, and the water comes up to that. So when you're in Christ, you're in the bathtub, he fills the water to the rim. And because he's kind, he even gives you like an inch more, okay? And we think that, okay, he's done it all to get me in the tub. But now my job is to make sure that I maintain the water up to the red line so that when I die, if the water touches the red line, I'm in. If the water goes below the red line, I'm out, right? And so, well, what would cause the water to go away? Not evaporation, not in this story, right? It's when you sin. If you do something wrong, the, the seal around the little drain kicks open just for a moment, especially if it's a small sin, no such thing, and it just goes in a little bit, but then it, the flap closes down, and you're like, oh, it's getting close to the red line. I go do something that's good, right? I pick up some garbage, uh, you know, I talk to people I don't really like, because I know God would do that, and, and that's good, and now the water comes on, and it goes up a little bit more, and I'm always working to maintain my relationship there, but if I sin real bad, whoo, the thing comes out, and I got to do some amazing works, to get it back up. And this is what many people live the Christian life like. Jesus got me in the tub. He's done it all. He's filled it up. But now if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that is not the gospel. What would it look like in this analogy? Imagine one of those pimped out like pools. You ever see them on TV? I love them. I'd love to have one. Wouldn't work great where I live. But like the water overflows, what do they call it? An invisible line. Thank you. Infinity line. There's water coming in. It's pouring out over. That is the Christian life. God has a constant supply of grace coming into that tub, and it overflows into the life of others. That, that's, that's what it means to be in Christ. I'm loving you not to get love from you, but because God in Christ loves me infinitely. Right? And so... Hopefully that helps because this is huge. This is huge for you to understand. So many Christians think that we are saved by believing the gospel, but then we somehow grow in God by doing, not by believing. And I'm telling you, the Bible antithetically teaches, no, it's by faith. It's by faith you're saved. It's by faith that you will grow in Christ. And it, it starts with faith. It's maintained by faith. And it ends with faith right? We do not begin by faith and then grow by works. And that's, that's what he's getting at. 
right? And so, because this is what the Galatians have begun to do. And Paul is clear that the Christian life begins by faith in the Spirit's work, right? He gives you the gift of himself as the helper. It it continues in the Spirit's work, and it will be completed by the Spirit's work in your life. He's making the point that our works have nothing to do with God's love and acceptance. It's by trusting in the perfect work of Christ alone. And so, we got to get this. At absolutely no point in time, either before God says you're his or after, does your behavior and works or performance determine God's love for you. Christ loved you. Christ died for you while you were a weak, ungodly sinner. And he brings you into the family and he pours his love upon you. So that's their experience. And so someone might be thinking, well, well, that's, that's a nice little experience, but I don't like experience. What about the Bible, Paul? Paul says, okay, I got you, bro. I got you. Salvation has always been by faith and by trusting in God's promises. To help us understand this, Paul now shifts from their experience to their Bible, which would have been the Old Testament, and he brings up one of their Jewish heroes, Abraham, right? So look with me. So it started with faith. Their experience shows it's by faith. It will continue by faith. And it's always been about faith. That's his point in the next few verses. Look at chapter 3, 6 through 9. He says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. By the way, that is their argument. Who's in the family of God? Us Jewish folks? Okay, I see that he's, okay, he's for Gentiles. They trusted in Jesus, but now they need to become Jewish. That's the argument. That's the thing, to be really into the family. He says, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, Notice he says, the man of faith. I love that Paul introduces Abraham here. Because no doubt, the false teachers, the the Judaizers that were infiltrating that church used Abraham over and over to try to drive home their point. And and what was their point? Essentially, if if the Abrahamic covenant, um, if Abraham, who was Abram, a Gentile at one time, was declared righteous, you have to almost imagine this, this is what they're saying, and made a Jew If that happened by circumcision, then, well, then surely the Galatians have to be circumcised to be a people of God. That that is their argument. They have to do some works of the law to to be in the family because that was always the sign. That was always the sign. So so you guys ready to travel in time? Let's go about 4,000 years back from now, from right this moment, right? Because that's what Paul does. It would have been 2,000 for him, but 4,000 for us. Abraham's story really turns interesting right from the get-go. Um, it starts in Genesis 11, but, but it really peaks in Genesis 12. And listen to what he, what he says, and that's right out the gate. So listen to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, because he's quoting. He's quoting Genesis 15, he's quoting Genesis 12, and, and, and actually, I don't have time to get into this, but the order is very interesting. Genesis 15 is first, and that matters. That matters. And then he brings in Genesis 12. And here's why. So listen to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He says, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, all, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God calls Abraham, right? He calls him out of Haran, right? And he tells him to go to a land that he will show him. And so Abraham, by the way, this is a pagan dude. There, there was no such thing as, as Jewish people at this stage of the game, right? Yet God graciously came to him and he made three promises, if you were listening in that text. And, and keep in mind, Abram, at that time, he would later have his name changed to Abraham, did nothing to deserve or gain any value to get these promises. And what were the promises? Promise of land of his own, right? The promise to be made into a great nation and the promise of blessing, okay? This is important because it really points to the Abrahamic covenant. Don't have time to get into that either, but, but that was established in chapter 15. It was ratified or made official in chapter 17, but what makes Abraham really special in this text is that he believed God. He believed, and that belief was counted as righteousness, why does that matter? Because they're pointing to Abraham saying, well, what about Abraham? But here's the deal. Abraham was counted righteous about 14 years before he would be circumcised. He was counted righteous about 430 years before the actual Mosaic law would even come in to be. And so that if they're saying circumcision and, 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 and the actual Mosaic law matter, then he's saying, well, you got a real problem then. Because Abraham was justified by faith. And that's his point. By the way, this dude was no doubt a beast. When I say beast, I mean in faith, right? Like all the Jewish little children would have definitely had like little action figures of Abraham. <laughs> right? They, they would have had trading cards of Abraham. If, if VeggieTales was a real thing, they would have tons of episodes about Abraham. And they would have loved him, and they would have cheered for him, and, and, and they would want to grow up and be like this man. What's the problem? Well, there's no problem with that, but the problem is the Judaizers did not realize that just Abraham was justified by faith. Not what he did. Not what he did, but what he believed. While still a Gentile, Abraham was declared righteous in God's eyes. Therefore, circumcision, the works of the law, None of those things can have any part in being declared righteous. It's by faith alone. And this is a death blow to the false teachers in Galatia. It's literally a death blow. Abraham, the man of faith, was not justified on the basis of his obedience to God. That was a fruit of believing in God. That, that was a fruit. That was, obedience is a fruit of faith, right? And so we see that, and so he's declared righteous. His righteousness not come, it did not come by working for God, but by believing in God. The same is true for the Galatians, the same is true for us, the same is true for everyone. It's the only way to please God is faith. That's it. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6. By the way, since faith is so important, we better understand what is faith, because lots of people misunderstand what faith truly is. So Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 is probably your best text to look at. You know why? Because it says, now faith is. Well, that's a good place to look in the Bible for a definition of faith. And it says, it's what? The assurance of things hoped for, that's believing promises, the conviction of things not seen. I, I've not seen God, but I believe, right? And then he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why? 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe what? Two things, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. To say that differently, it's to believe in God is to believe that he does exist and that he's good. That's faith. That's faith. If you believe that today in Christ, even if it's the smallest minute thing, that you have faith. It might be the small as a mustard seed. Well, that's sufficient. Warning, if you're not careful, though, you can make faith a work. Man, have I met these folks. I might have even been this guy. That's a huge problem because if, if you make faith a work, you'll boast in your faith, not in your God. That's a real problem, right? Because Abraham, he did, okay, newsflash, did not always live a perfect life. If, if you're familiar, by the way, there's some here who might not know anything about the Old Testament. I know, because Jesus saved me at 23, and they would talk about Abraham, like, who's that? And Old Testament, what's that? And New Testament, what's that? And I didn't understand anything, so if that's the case, stick around. I really do think that you'll learn the Bible narrative if you stick with us. We have ways of doing that, not only on Sunday morning, but we're committed to making disciples, and disciples and discipleship is, is primarily through the Word, right? So we want to see spiritual formation be brought out because you're engaging God through his word, learning who he is and understanding who he says you are in light of the truth of the gospel. So hang in there. But, but I can't teach about 4,000 years of history to make sure you understand it. But I want to make sure that you do understand faith is not a work. And so how do I do that? Well, Abraham was not always a good dude, right? He did not live out his faith perfectly. His, his obedience was not perfect. His trust in God wavered throughout, but yet his faith was never stamped out. Never. I mean, Abraham's life reminds us what real faith actually looks like, which is imperfect, by the way. It's imperfect. You're not saved because you have perfect faith. You're saved because you have an imperfect faith in a perfect God. And his name is Christ, right? And so he questioned God about his promises. We saw that in Genesis 15, if you were to look. He lied about his wife, Sarah, right? Um, essentially, what did he do? He tried to pimp her out, right? Is that okay to say? I, don't, I, mean, I couldn't think of a better word on the fly. He, he, he did. He, he's entering in. He's like, this is my sister. Yeah, go ahead. Enjoy, right? Um, so, but before you start feeling bad, like, oh, poor Sarah, she did the same thing. She tried to pimp out her maid and did, right? Hagar, like, you can have her, and maybe we'll get this whole thing rolling, because we don't have any children yet, and, well, I don't know if you've looked around, but we're kind of old. So they didn't trust God in so many circumstances. I mean, what a nightmare. You don't see that on VeggieTales. You just don't. What a train wreck of a family. I mean, I thought, focus on the family would not probably recommend that you would measure your, your family by those circumstances. Like, hey, be like Abraham when he did this. No. No, they highlight some other things. I mean, right? I mean, I'm sure he was a nice guy, but still. You might be thinking, I feel pretty good about myself. I've not done that at all. Well, good. But you're still a sinner in need of grace just like me and everyone else. Abraham shows us that saving faith is in God's provision, not our performance. It's in his provision. God provides. I believe. I receive. That's the Christian life. Um, Tim Keller says it this way. He says, it's, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch, if you're hanging from a tree, I believe it's going to hold me, is fatally inferior to weak faith 
in a strong branch. That's, that's, that's what our life looks like. And, and so make no mistake about it, we're not saved by the amount of faith or the quality of our faith, but by the object of our faith. So if your faith is in Christ, even if it's the smallest mustard seed, that's sufficient. That's sufficient. And he'll continue to grow it because faith does grow. The more we see God in his word, the more we see him show up in our lives, we recount his, his goodness, the more our trust in this great God should grow. And there'll be moments where it goes down, and you'll be like, oh, but he's just exercising, he's stretching you, and he's going to continue to come back around and supply more of himself and continue to keep you in his good grip, right? And so thank God for that. How, how does your faith grow? Um, a lot of ways. A lot of ways. Primarily suffering is miracle growth for the Christian, even though we want to avoid it like the plague. But it's by looking to the cross. This is how your faith will grow. Um, faith is it's trust, right? It's trusting that God is and that he is good. There's no greater place to know that he is good than looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how your faith grows, right? You look to the cross because the cross is central to our faith. Abraham looked forward to the day that Messiah would do all that was promised. We look back to the day that the Messiah did everything that was promised. So we're all a people of faith, right? Um, so it will always be about faith. Your experience shows it's about faith. The Bible teaches it's about faith with Abraham, and now we need to know here in 2021, it's going to continue in faith, and that's exactly where he goes. Look at chapter 3 in Galatians 10 through 14. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. I want you to notice that word curse every time you hear it, because it's an ugly word. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law, and do them. In case you think that's achievable, um, I, I don't know how to take off your arms or legs in an appropriate way, but I want you now jump to Jupiter. You're like, that's impossible. That's more possible than you doing all of the law. You have a better chance of doing that. And you don't have a chance at either, right? He says, not only do you abide by them, you must do them all. Impossible. No, now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There's a lot here. I wish it was one sermon. I thought about doing that, but we need to get through Galatians, uh, hopefully by the end of the year. So, Paul continues to lay out his case from the Old Testament. He quotes Habakkuk, he quotes Leviticus, he quotes Deuteronomy twice, right? And what's his main point? His main point is this, that the curse of the law is removed only through the cross of Christ because Jesus bore God's wrath in our place on behalf of all his people, period. That's his main point, right? And, but there's three things I want you to notice from this text, right? The first one is, those who rely on the works of the law, you are cursed. Let's see, he says it right in verse 10. He cannot be more clear than what he's saying. Notice that nasty word, curse, or cursed. It's all throughout this passage. 
Apart from Christ, you and I and every human being stands under the wrath of God, period. What you deserve for the wages of your sin is death. Which, by the way, is not just like a dirt nap. It's not just pushing up daisies. It's under the wrath of God forever. That's what cursed is. We stand cursed beneath the law, apart from Christ, because we've disobeyed God. We've rebelled against God. And for God to be a good and righteous and holy judge, he must punish either that sinner or your sin in Christ on the cross, period. So each and every one of us stand in this situation and that's terrifying. Problem is, we don't, we don't often think about it, because you can't think about this often, but if you were to think for a moment about what it might mean to be under the wrath of God, boy, you will have a greater affection and love for the Christ who saved you from that wrath. Problem is, we, we, we many times don't think about the bad news, therefore we don't admire, worship, magnify, adore Christ for all that he is, because we just think, you know, God saved me from a bad day. A little self-help, get some friends, do a church thing. And, and, and he says, no, I have none of that. It's heavy. It's heavy. In Deuteronomy 27, which he's quoting, by the way, in verse 10, Moses tells the people of God to divide, essentially, six tribes on this mountain, six tribes on this mountain. One says, these are curses. One says, these are blessings. And they shout back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's the moment he's talking about right now. And after each curse was pronounced, all the people would shout, amen. That's right. That's true. Then the blessing would come. And they would say, amen. And, and by the way, there's no doubt there were certain Certainly there were blessings attached to all this, but the curses were very prominent in that text. Prominent. The last curse in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, is actually what Paul quotes in verse 10. And listen to it again. He's saying, unless you obey the law perfectly, you are cursed. Does that make you feel helpless? Does it make you feel like I could never measure up? I can never get it right? Because if so then the function of the law, at least in that case, is working. You ought to feel helpless in that moment because you are. You have no chance. That's, that's one of the main functions of the law. Next week, lots to talk about there. Second point, though, within the Galatians text is that Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law. That's good news. That's, I mean, it's really good news, right? It, it, so... If you're standing under the curse, why does he mention that? Because he wants you to feel helpless so that you'd understand you need grace. Gosh, I need grace. I can't do this. You're right. You can. I have. Believe me. Since it's what, what, what's happening within the gospel. We're desperately in need of a Savior to deliver us from this cursed condemnation due to our rebellion that we deserve. And Jesus is that Savior. That's what Paul's saying. All the sin that you've ever committed or will commit today or in the future was essentially laid upon Jesus and in that moment you can see the beauty of the substitution right Jesus became the most heinous being in the sight of God in that moment he was literally cursed and crushed by God on the cross the substitutionary atonement fancy word but that's the heart of justification you need to understand lots of Christians lots of churches especially those in in let's say, teaching in seminaries, do not like this. 
They say it's divine child abuse. And I'm saying it's a glorious biblical truth. And if you remove it, you have zero hope. You have no hope. You remove substitutionary atonement, Jesus taking my curse, my place, so that I can receive blessing by faith alone is the heart of the gospel. And, and so all our sins laid upon Jesus. And, and in that moment, he becomes cursed and under the judgment and the wrath of God. And, and so he's in that moment, the most ugly and damnable, evil, wretched sinner ever. Why? Because it's our sin. It's our sin that condemned him. But it was Jesus, the sinless one, the Lamb of God who come to take away the sins of the world for the joy that was actually set before him. He didn't begrudgingly come. He said, Father, if that's the plan, it's a beautiful plan. I'd love to go. I'd love to obey. And that doesn't mean he was always like yippy skippy to the cross because we know the night before he is sweating out blood. He is pouring out blood. He's pouring out prayer. And he says, Father, if there be another way, could we do that? That's my paraphrase. But if not, whatever you decide that's what I want because you are amazing and so he goes he sets his face towards Jerusalem and he goes to the cross and he knows what's coming he's fully God he's fully man but in his humanity oh father be another way but if not you oh God I trust you since eternity we've been together one God three distinct persons father son spirit and so he goes, the sinless one takes our place, and in doing so, he took our sin, he took our condemnation, so that we could receive his righteousness, we could receive his blessing. This is, this is, gore, this is glorious. Listen, Jesus was crushed and cursed so that you and I could be blessed and loved. That's the point of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus revealed the love of God to us. Listen to what 1 John says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. What is it? What, what revealed it? What showed His great love? That God sent His only Son into the world. Why did He do that? So that we might live through Him. Well, what is this love? In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Fancy word. Probably haven't used it this week with your barista. <laughs> propitiation just means wrath absorber. Wrath remover. The object of wrath. The one who absorbed all of God's wrath in your place for our sins. So, so the cross, man, Lord, make it huge in our heart and our mind. Help us to understand it. And, and every one of you, if you've been in church long enough, understand it at some level. But I want you to understand that God can reveal more of his goodness, more of his love. We don't move past this. We move deeper into it. And so God, Holy Spirit, help me understand the reality more. And as you do, your faith will grow. And so, what's the, so why? What's the purpose of, of that text in Galatians then? Why would God do this? Well, because you guys are awesome. Of course he would die. No. I'm sure you are awesome, but that's not what the text says. It's so that we would receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit through faith alone. Why? Because God makes a promise. He must keep it. And he made that promise. And in that moment when he made that promise, he, did, he, he absolutely declared he would do this or he would not be God. So the great, that's in verse 14, by the way. You'll see the so that. 
The greatest blessing of all. What is the greatest blessing of all? I, don't, I just had a thought come into my head. Probably not great to always talk about that when you don't have it formulized. But Whitney Houston wrote a song a long time ago. I need help. Uh, the greatest love of all. What was it? I don't remember either. Whitney had a great voice. God bless her. But it wasn't this. And so it's not the greatest love of all. The greatest love of all is Christ dying for sinners. Why did he do that? What are the blessing? What is the Abrahamic blessing? Forgiveness of sin? No. Although that's a part of it. Righteousness? No. No, it's not that. What else do you love about what you receive? Friendship, love, all these things I want you to know are, are means to the greatest end. They're means. You're saying forgiveness of sins is means? Means. What's the end? What's the end? What's he say? What does he say? The greatest blessing in all the gospel is that you and I by faith get God. That's it. That's the greatest, that's the, that's the tip of the iceberg, that is the highest point on the mountain, and you might get a lot of other great things. I hear people all the time say, I can't wait to, to, to go see the Lord so I can see my, my cute little stuffy, fluffy dog that died 15 years ago. Well, you may or may not. C.S. Lewis says you would. I don't know. I don't have a big leg to stand on in the Bible, but who cares? Like I do. I love my dog. It's the silliest thing ever. You will not care about fluffy when you're in the presence of God Almighty. And it's not that you won't enjoy seeing people you love and you miss. I have tons of people I love and I miss that I know are going to be with me in heaven when that day comes. But that is like just a sprinkle on the mountain of ice cream that is the gift of God. That is what you get. You get God. You get God. You're saying, where does it say that in the Bible? Look at 1 Peter 3.18. This is the reason Christ came and died. There are many other things. All those were means to bring about this one thing. 1 Peter 3.18 says, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Once again, you see the substitution. Why? And I love that phrase, so that he might bring us to God. This is why. This is why. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God has lovingly worked out a way for you and I to have our relationship restored. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. It, that is the gospel. God has done everything necessary to make that happen. For you and I to enjoy forgiveness, freedom, enjoyment of life with Him forever. Without condemnation and only blessing. By the way, I totally expect that happens as you have children in the service. So it's cool, right? I love that you're coloring. I hope you're having a great Sunday. Mom, don't worry about it. You might not have been, but like now you brought attention to it. But I remember when... I remember when Jesse and I had Sarah in gatherings and then that would happen and everybody would go like this and I'm like, oh, that's awkward. And, and, and they were like, I just don't know why we don't have kids here. And I'm like, I have an idea. And because um, you give all of us the desk there when a kid makes a peep. So blessings. It's cool. We're good. We love it because God loves kids and we want to see the Lord bring many children through this generation to himself. I'm just thrilled. Um, almost done. Hang in there. God has done everything. Everything necessary to bring us home to himself. He is the greatest gift. You get God. No matter where you go, right? Because he's with you. 
Think about John 4, just for a moment. The woman at the well, right? This scandalous picture. Not going to talk about all the pieces of it, but she's, she immediately, as soon as Jesus like says, hey, go get your husband, she's like, oh, you know about that little thing. I don't actually have a husband. She's, and he's like, yeah, I know you've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not him. Awkward. Um, she switches gears and says, hey, can we talk about worship? Because it seems like you're a religious fella. And uh, so we worship on Mount Gerasene. You say worship in Jerusalem. What do you think? And he says this, and this is the point I want to get to. There's coming a day when my father is seeking them who worship him in spirit and truth. That day's here because the blessing is the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have God now. I can't wait to die and get to heaven to get God. You'll get him in a more fuller understanding without your sinfulness right now. Right, because we're this weird mixture of sinner and saint, waiting to the day when we're fully what we really are, what we fully really are. But He has given you the gift of Himself now. All who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation have the gift of God now. Look, I don't feel that. Whether you feel that or not changes nothing about the reality of what the Bible teaches, which is you have the gift of the Holy Spirit now. And, and what a glorious thing. I mean, the ultimate reason for the gospel of Jesus Christ is so that we might live with and enjoy God, who is our supreme, all-satisfying, everlasting joy forever. Praise God. The love of God will continue to be lavished upon you for the rest of your existence, which, by the way, from this moment, is forever. It's forever. So why do we worry? Well, that's another time. So what now? That's the question. Well, we continue forward just as we've begun. How do we begin? By faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. So, church, we never, ever, ever need to move on from the gospel. We never can, and we never, we never should. Why would we? It's the greatest news ever. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. And those who trust in that message and that message alone, he gives you all of himself. <laughs> Praise God. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus joyfully, willingly, obediently, lovingly coming and becoming a curse for a cursed people so that we can be loved, adored, blessed, just like Christ has been in his entire existence, which, by the way, is forever. There was never a time there was not Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. So, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, we ask that you would continue to work in us and through us mightily so that the name of Jesus would be made more famous here in Greensburg to the ends of the earth. You don't become more famous, but let us live and believe and work and love in such a way that when people come in contact with this little baby church plant, they might know that we've come in contact with the God who loves the world. Oh God, help us to do that, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.